morning, church family. Uh, my name is Randy, and I work here. <laughs> sure, I know. <laughs> I missed you all. Last Wednesday night, Sarah and I returned from uh, just a... I, I, I'm still groping to find the adjective to describe our uh, three-week experience in, in Turkey. Uh, Sarah teaches English as a second language at Urbana Adult Ed, and seven years ago, seven years ago, we struck up three very warm friendships uh, with couples uh, from uh, Ankara, Turkey, and the husbands uh, got their finance degree at the U of I, and uh, the wives uh, attended Sarah's uh, classes, and that was seven years ago, and they left five years ago, and um, they call us on our birthdays, and uh, they keep asking, when will you come and visit Turkey? And so, um, so this year was our 25th anniversary, and our gift to each other was going to Turkey. And, uh, um, and you know, we've been preaching through Revelation, so I just had to see the seven cities of Revelation, and I got a chance to do that, and we spent a week uh, with... Uh, with that, and then we spent uh, two weeks with our friends, and it was really, really um, wonderful. And I and and on top of all that, we're so glad to be back, and we missed you uh, very, very much. And so, um, and I kind of feel bad because you know we got back Wednesday night, and then I looked at the bulletin at the title of today's message, and uh, I don't want there to be any confusion. The title has nothing to do with me. So anyway, yeah, okay, now you're looking at the bullets in there, so let's keep it about Jesus, okay? (laughs) A week ago Saturday, a week ago Saturday, it's it's right here. It's right here. I'm jet lagged. Yeah, it's okay, it's jet lagged. It says the return of the king. That's not about me. It's just, anyway. Is everybody clear on that? Because, I mean, I, I just need that to be really clear. And, and someone on our church staff, staff said that if I would mention that, you guys would just roar in laughter. And you're not. And so I feel bad, and someone is going to get a really bad performance review this week. But that's... Anyway, a week ago Saturday, uh, Sarah and I attended a wedding of... <laughs> in Ankara, Turkey, and we didn't know the bride and the groom. We were guests of the guests, and I found out that people do weddings differently in the country of Turkey than they do here. I want to show you a few pictures. Um, uh, Christians, just keep that up there for just a minute, Deb. Christians have wedding ceremonies in churches, but Muslims do not have wedding ceremonies in mosques. What they do is they find a reception hall like this, and then they have the wedding ceremony and the reception like in the same room. At this, and, you, and there's no sitting in pews. Everybody's at a table, so it's you know pretty efficient in terms of people movement go. And so we were all in this circle. There was like this concentric circle. And there in the middle 
was this open space where the bride and the groom, they were going to be coming, and we all got there, and we were late, and, and we had to wait for the bride and the groom. And by the way, in Turkey, the groom's family pays for everything. I'm so glad I'm American. <laughs> but the groom's family pays for everything. And so this was a several, several thousand uh, a lira, uh, which would be several, seven thousand, thousand dollar event. And so we waited there. And, and let's see the next picture here. This, this is Sarah talking with a couple of our friends. Um, and then the next picture uh, has a, a picture of, uh, this is Saved to the left and Yasemin to the right. And then the next picture is a picture of their daughters, just beautiful girls. There's uh, to the right, there's um, Jada, and to the left, there's Asla, and she's just a sweetie, uh, a pretty sweet uh, girl, even when she spilled a tall glass of Coca-Cola all over my light tan pants, which is why I didn't do any dancing, you know, so, but, um, and then the next picture is another uh, shot of the girls, and, and uh, it was just a festive, finally the bride and groom came, uh, you have to have a government official actually officiate over the weddings in that country. Uh, it's, it's just kind of, it's just different. And so there in the center, there was a, the ceremony itself took about five minutes, and then we started eating. And there was bread and olives and fruit, and there was uh, 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 Coke and Fanta, and then there was chai. They have tea and make tea like nobody's business there. It's, it's, it was just a wonderful joyful time and and the bride and the groom and the families and and uh, we got to get a taste of Turkish culture enjoying this 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 marriage feast and that's what it was it was a marriage feast of uh, of friends and family and love and and that was fun wasn't it um and I mention all of that because um, we are in a series over the book of Revelation. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. You came in here this morning and you saw these little different images. And uh, you saw this uh, image here. It's right behind Laura, as you see over the foyer. What is this? You've, everybody's got one of these on, the, on their on their. Uh, uh, computer. What is that image? What is that? It's the it's the refresh button, isn't it? The refresh button, right? Your 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 computer screen gets kind of clogged, and you just click refresh, click refresh. And some of you are here for the first time today, or some of you are have been through experiences in life, and you're wondering, you're wondering, does God what? So if I engage with the God of this universe, what can I expect? And, and I just want to point to that symbol there. And we're going to be talking about that symbol for the next few weeks. It's the refresh button. Because God is in the God we worship. The God we just sang to is about making all things new. All things new. And aren't you glad that when we come and we worship him and he is able to, to take the old and... To, Paul said in Galatians, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things are new. God just clicks the refresh button. Aren't you glad that when you come to worship and you meet God, that, that he, 
he clicks the refresh button and not the rehash button. The rehash button. And some of us have been in relationships where they like to click the rehash button. And they rehash old grudges and they rehash old offenses and they rehash the past and walls continue to go up and nothing gets new. Everything is old and stale and that is not the God we worship. The God we worship is about refreshing. So much so that he takes us and he transforms us into a beautiful, beautiful bride wedding, feast. And that's what Revelation chapter 19 teaches us here in verses 1 through 10. Now I want us to read this together and as you have, uh, as you have helped me in some of our scripture reading before, I'm going to ask you to help me again. When I'm going to read the white uh, uh, letters and you read the light orange letters there and I mean, listen, when it says shouting, would you please Okay, here we go. You ready? This is Revelation 19. We're going to go through 1 through 10. Here, after this I heard, this is the Apostle John, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, here we go, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, that's you, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Amen. Revelation 19, 1 through 10. You hear what God is saying to us this morning? You come to him and the kind of relationship that he wants with his people, the kind of relationship he wants with his people, the relationship that is on his mind here in these verses is a marriage relationship. A marriage, so much so that we could say, that I will say with confidence and assurance that Jesus' mission 
Jesus' aim, Jesus' objective, Jesus' focus, Jesus' mission is a permanent marriage relationship with his people. Jesus' mission is to be married to you. That's his mission. That's what we're reading here. (laughs) And I mean, of all of the images... See, Jesus just does, Jesus is king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But, but he just doesn't want to relate to you as a king to a subject. He wants to relate to you as a husband and a wife in, in, in a mature marriage. And why marriage? Because marriage is the most intimate and transparent of all human relationships. It's the most intimate. When you, in, in a healthy Christ-focused, Christ-centered. There is transparency economically and spiritually and physically. And Jesus says, that's what I want with you. I want a permanent marriage relationship with you. And let me tell you something, church family. There is no other religion on the face of this earth that describes God's relationship with his people in such terms. (laughs) I can tell you that the country we've just been to doesn't exist in their religious system. No, no, no. But here, God's word says, Jesus wants a, a, a permanent marriage relationship to his people. And, and what we see in these verses that we just read, we see what that looks like. And I just want to talk about that. I want to unpack that marriage relationship. And that unpackages itself in three different ways. And the first is this. We worship a God who finances the feast. Oh, yeah. Jesus finances the feast. You know, that's in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. It says, for the wedding of the lamb has come. Now, it doesn't say for the wedding of the groom, right? It says, and it doesn't say the wedding of the king. It says the wedding of the lamb. Why lamb? Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the sacrificial lamb, right? He's talking to um, these folks who are Christians 1,900 years ago. I mean, they come from a distinctively Jewish and Hebrew background, and they were steeped in Old Testament history where God's people regularly made pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem and they brought with them offerings and sacrifices, the sacrifice of a lamb. Why? For their sin. The lamb was a sin offering. The lamb was their substitute. The priest on the altar was going to do to the lamb what really should have been done to the people. The lamb was the sub, it was a sacrificial lamb. You see, when we start talking about our relationship with God in terms of marriage, then at the same time, we begin to understand what sin is and what disobedience is. And if a relationship with God is in terms of a marriage covenant, then disobedience or sin against God is what? Adultery. Spiritual adultery. That's what we read earlier when it says that that he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. Unfaith sin is nothing more than just unfaithfulness to the God of this universe. Because you see, God, God, God doesn't just want us to relate to him like a subject relates to a king in keeping the rules, but he wants our hearts 
He wants us to love him more than anyone else. I mean, suppose a couple came into my office and the wife is just incredibly hurt and incredibly angry. And I say, what's the deal? And the wife says, my husband's cheating on me. My husband has this other woman and spends time with her and, and takes her out to dinner. And, 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 then, and then I look at the husband and he says, what's the problem? She has my last name. She has the checkbook. She has the, a house. She has food. She has uh, sp- uh, uh, you know, expenditures. I, I do my job. I mean, I, I, I give her what she needs. What's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Anybody in here knows the big deal. You, you've given everything but your heart, man. What, what kind of a husband are you? See? And some Christians say, well, I go to church. You know, I put a few bucks in the plate. You know, I say my rote prayers. and You know, I, I do this, I do that. Yeah, but does God have your heart? See, he wants your heart. And if he doesn't have your heart, see, See, that's unfaithfulness. Marriage to God, it, when, you, when you start talking about God in terms of a marriage relationship, then at the same time, sin and disobedience is unfaithfulness, adultery, spirit, and that is not going to be swept underneath the rug. It has to be accounted for, and thus the sacrificial lamb. But you know and I know, and the Hebrews knew, that an animal is not going to pay for my sins. It's, that's just a symbol. That's just a reminder. God himself showed up. God himself put on human flesh. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember what the occasion was of uh, Jesus' very first miracle? Do you remember? That was at a wedding, wasn't it? In John chapter 2. The wedding at Cana. And what an event it was. I mean, there was, uh, it was a huge feast and friends were invited and family w- uh, were invited and Jesus was there. And then what happened? You remember what happened in that wedding feast? They ran out of wine, see? And which was a huge embarrassment in that day. Huge embarrassment. And, and so all of a sudden this wedding feast is going on and Jesus is there. And remember, Jesus is single, right? He's single, he's single. Wedding feast is happening. They run out of wine. Mary comes up to Jesus. They run out of wine. Do something. And what does Jesus say? Remember what he says? Woman, what does this have to do with me? Uh, My hour has not yet come. By the way, the word hour in John's gospel has to do with the time of Jesus' crucifixion, right? Right? So, I mean, think about this scene. (laughs) There's this wedding They've run out of wine. There's a crisis. Mary comes to Jesus. They've run out of wine. Do something. And Jesus says, Mom, it's not time for me to die on the cross. And I, you know, I can't help but Mary would have responded with something like, What? What, 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 what are you talking about? Come again. And then she just kind of finally says to the servants, Just do what he says. Just Jesus. He says things like that. You know, I, I mean, just, all right. But there's no more wine. Because wine is the joy of the feast. And Jesus, Jesus, at this wedding at Cana, performs this first miracle. 
For the, if the wine is gone, there's no more joy, so there needs to be wine. Jesus is thinking about his future wedding day. His future wedding day. And the fact of the matter is, for his bride to drink the cup of joy, he must drink the cup of God's justice. For his bride to fall into his arms, Jesus must stretch out his arms on a Roman cross as the sacrificial lamb. Jesus finances the wedding feast. Someone put it this way. The perfection we do not have, Jesus provided. The judgment we do not want, Jesus bore. He financed the wedding feast because he wants a permanent marriage relationship to his people. But I'll tell you something else that these verses tell us about that wedding feast. He not only finances the wedding feast, but he gives his bride the wedding gown. He gives his bride the wedding gown. He's, in other words, he, he has it made for her. Now, I don't know a groom alive today in American culture who would be brave enough to do that for his, for his future bride, right? And I don't know an American bride today who'd want that. I'll take care of it, honey. All right. Jesus takes care of that for us, though. He gives it. That's what, that's what we see in verses 7 and 8. Do you see that? For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, look at this, has made herself ready. And, and here it is. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then John does some decoding for us. All right. You see that? What's fine linen? What's that stand for? Well, he tells us. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So these righteous acts constitute the the wedding gown that the bride, that we will wear. But just what are those righteous acts? That's what I want to know. What what, what does that mean? Does that mean when we go to salt and light, then that's part of the wedding gown that will later we'll be adorned with? When we go to Peru, when we go to the Dominican Republic, possibly possibly, but if I'm going to really find out what that means, I've got to go back to these first readers, and I've got to try to figure out what did it mean to them. You got, it's not what, what does it mean to me first, it's what does it mean to these readers first. And here's what we learn. We learned that 1900 years ago, Christians were increasingly becoming the target of persecution by their government. And we don't really know that in our culture. We don't, we don't know that. Did you see this in the News Gazette yesterday? I mean, it's just, just good stuff, you know, about how the founding of our country uh, was so steeped in Judeo-Christian heritage. And, and, and uh, uh, this is put out by Hobby Lobby. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And, and quotes from former presidents and, and congressional committees about, you know, I mean, if we will just seek God and put him first, he will take care of our country. So this is our heritage, but I'm telling you, 1,900 years ago, the Christians who gathered lived in an era where their government was increasingly becoming more hostile. In fact, that's, that's why the book of Revelation was written. It was written to Christians who were suffering and 
And John is saying, you've got to endure, and you've got to persevere, and it's not going to be easy. For the next two centuries, it's not going to be easy. And what we found is that these Christians began to flee, and they fled to an area in what is modern-day Turkey. They fled to an area called Cappadocia. I want you to see this. This is a valley called the Rose Valley. And uh, it is a place where Christians in the second and third centuries fled to escape persecution. And our, our Muslim friends thought enough of us that they wanted us to see our heritage. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, we, yeah. It was something to try to, to outlove them. <laughs> it really was. It was. I had a hard time keeping up. But they showed us this place where the early Christians fled. And those were rock formations that Christians actually dug out caves, homes. They had to flee their homes. And they came into these caves. And, and now this is kind of an open-air museum. And, and Sarah and I got the chance to visit some of these caves. And in these caves were homes and eating areas and, yes, churches, church buildings and structures. And so you would go into these caves and they would carve out these, some of these chapels were very small, but some of them, there was a community of four to 5,000 Christians in the second century. And then, because, you know, they didn't have PowerPoint and they didn't have, you know, the physical copy of God's Word, but what, they didn't have copy machines, so they would, just, they would just draw on these frescoes biblical stories of their faith. And, you know, the, the pastor would say, okay, let's talk about this picture today. And it was just a fascinating but, it, but all of this, this vibrant Christian community was born out of suffering and perseverance and difficulty. And you may be thinking, if I'm the bride of Christ, why are we suffering? And what we come to find out is that the, the righteous acts of the saints are those saints which endured persecution and they persevered. And they lived a potato sack kind of life. And Jesus took that potato sack and he stitched that into fine linen. Fine linen. Which will one day reveal the splendor of our awesome God. John Piper is a pastor. And he once said, God is never doing just one thing in what he does with us. He's always doing thousands of things that we cannot see. He never has only one purpose in what he does. He always has thousands of purposes in everything he does. He is infinitely wise, and everything he does relates to everything else that he does sooner or later. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, all of them, all of them work together for good. And it was such an encouragement for Sarah and me to, to see this because you, if, you, if you don't think your pastor doesn't sometimes doubt his faith, you don't know your pastor very well. And what was so good for me is to go and to see the homes and the, the previous gathering areas of, of our spiritual ancestors 
and to be encouraged with the truth that, you know what? What we're talking about here wasn't just made up yesterday. Christianity has a long lineage, a long lineage of people who gave themselves and suffered persecution and endured and they still look to God and out of just a potato sack kind of life, Jesus Christ gave them a beautiful gown. I want you to listen to this letter uh, that I found this week about Independence Day. It's a different sort of Independence Day. The father says this. It's written by a father. He says, the 4th of July is a different sort of Independence Day for me. On July 4th, 1995, my multiple disabled son entered the world and my life came crashing down around me. And it would soon include deep and intense bitterness toward God. I never denied that God existed or is powerful. I just concluded he was mean and capricious. I'm often astonished when thinking back that I am now able to praise God for his goodness in giving my son his autism and blindness. None of this happened easily or by accident. Shortly after my son was born, we dropped everything in our church. We stopped going. We stopped our small group. We stopped volunteering. We stopped Sunday school class. We stopped attendance. And one couple refused to let us go and loved us with a gracious, firm, consistent tenderness that made me want to understand how they could love someone like me, my wife or my son, so completely. The father says, I remember a particularly heartbroken, bitter email I sent to my pastor who had every right to discipline me, but instead he wrapped the words of the Bible around my heart, and God used those words to create longings I didn't have, to start a dead heart beating, and to reveal when I was incapable of seeing the beauty, sufficiency, and majesty of Jesus and his cross. Living with a boy, now a teenager no less, who will always be dependent on someone else for all his needs is hard. And I have a daily, often hourly fight for joy in my salvation. And yet through my, son's, uh, through, yet through my oldest son's daily care, through my youngest son's premature birth, and now through my wife's ongoing battle with cancer, God is not just sustaining me, but revealing more of his goodness because he is sovereign over all of these things for his glory and my good. So on this Independence Day, I'm grateful to Jesus for my real freedom in him and for giving me my boy to help me see it. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now there is a father who understands. And he gets it, church family. That only God can take the potato sacks of life and transform them into a beautiful linen wedding gown. And is that not why the multitude and the 24 elders and the four living creatures all cry out, Hallelujah! I mean, is that not why there is this this cascading waterfall of Praise to our God for what he has done. He finances the feast. He gives his bride the wedding gown. And, and the apostle John is just so overwhelmed at it all. Look, look at what he does in, in verse 10. He, he falls down and he begins worshiping the angel. You know, and the angel says, Johnny, 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 up, 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 up. No, 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 no. 
not me, God. I'm just a fellow servant. We're all just preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and glorifying God. No, no, no. Let's keep the focus on God. He's the one. He has financed the feast. He gives the gown. And then the angel says, look at verse 9. Jesus is the one who offers the invitation. You see that? The angel said, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And, and listen, I need to, need to make sure we understand what that means. Blessed are those who are invited and have accepted the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, it's not just those who've been invited, but you've, you're blessed if you who have been Invited, RSVP. RSVP. You see, with such an important event, in fact, our host told us at this particular wedding we went to, he said, now you all don't have to go, but I have to go. I must go, or it will be an incredible insult to the host. And you see what's happened here in the Gospels. Jesus, the king, who is wanting to be Our groom invites us to the wedding feast. I mean, who would refuse that? Who would refuse that? Who? We'll keep reading. Because verses 11 through 21 tell us that there are those who do refuse that invitation. And for those who refuse the invitation, Jesus, on his return, does not return as a groom but he returns as a judge. I saw in heaven standing open, verse 11, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. That means Back then, if you knew someone's name, that represented that you could control that person. But Jesus is not going to be controlled by anybody because he is sovereign. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Why? Why is that robe dipped in blood? Does it have to do with the cross? No. The robe is dipped in blood because he's dealing with his enemies. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. The, the, the enemies of Christ, they don't want to come to the wedding. They don't want to repent. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And so, so to them, he doesn't come as a, as a loving groom. He comes as a judge. Because there, there's no one there to forgive them of their disobedience and of their sin. And, and, and so when he comes, look, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. <laughs> On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's right there on his thigh where everybody can see it. Everybody. Who he is and what he's done. And when Jesus shows up, when the king returns, I mean, there's not going to be a battle. There's already been a battle. The battle took place on the cross. That's where all the blood took place. Here, we have a king who is so powerful that he is able to go to war dressed in white. Now, that's power. 
The Romans did not wear white into battle, and the American Marines don't either. But when Jesus shows up, there's no khakis, there's no Kevlar, it's just white. You know what that means? That means he's going to win. That's what that means. And the armies, when, when the armies show up, they're dressed in white. And, fine, and they have white horses. But the armies show up, you know, but they don't do the fighting. Why? Because Jesus has done the fighting. In every other kingdom, the king asks the people to die for the king. But in the kingdom of Christ, the king has died for his people. And when he returns, it's going to be victorious. And he is just going to gather the enemies. And he's going to speak. And they're conquered. And that's that. And then there's going to be another feast. Do you see that? There's going to be another feast. He's going to gather all of his enemies together. And it's going to be dinner. And they're going to be dinner. The vultures are going to be coming. Verse 21 says, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all of the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. You hear, what? you hear what's going on here? When Christ comes again, there's going to be one of two feasts, and, and you're going to be a part of one of two feasts. You are either going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, or you're going to be supper. Now, what do you want to do? See? What do you want to do? That's the invitation. Wow. I mean, Jesus says, I want to be married to you, okay? I'll be a faithful husband. I'm true. I'm a faithful and true husband. I'll, I'll pay for the wedding, he says. I'll buy your gown. I just want you to come, okay? Will you come? Will you come? Please? Have you? Have you RSVP'd? See, now's the time to do business with the God of this universe. Who wants to be married to you? Will you come? We're gonna, I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and we're going to sing a little bit more, and then we're going to have communion. Um, before I pray, I want to show you a couple more slides. There at Cappadocia, in the caves, we walked into a room. It was a larger room. That was carved out by hand. Notice on the far left, these two ladies, I don't know who in the world they are, but uh, they were sitting around this, I mean, they were stone seats, and then there's a stone table. Do you see that? It's, that was all carved out by hand. That's where, pe- that's where the Christians used to gather, and that's where they used to, to eat and have a feast together. And then the next picture... This is Sarah and me. There we are. And um, you notice the picture that's above us? Let's take a closer look at that picture in the next slide. You cannot tell these faces because uh, when Islam kind of took over the area, they chipped out the faces. And, um, but this is a fresco of the Last Supper. So these Christians gathered, and they gathered for a, a, a meal, and then, and then they gathered for another supper, a wedding feast, a feast that was purchased by their groom. And even though they were wearing rags at the time, in faith they believed that God would take those rags and click the refresh button, and the potato sack rags would become fine linen and they did that and they lived 
as faithful spouses on this earth because they knew that in the next life, their groom would be faithful to them. And they accepted the invitation. Listen to me. When you know what you're going to be like in the end, then you know what to be like now. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for saving us and loving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for financing the feast. Thank you for giving us the gown. And thank you for giving the offering the invitation. We accept. Amen.